Hello again and welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. I was afraid about what we we're going to be talking about today. I welcome in Chris Anderson. Chris, we were going to make this a bourbon podcast, <laughs> a barbecue podcast. What was this going to be 12 hours ago? I have no idea. I was prepared for the worst. Um I mean, anybody that follows the Twitter feed knows that I have very little faith in the Big 12's decision-making. And again, now I'm not saying play or not play or which one's right, but the, I just didn't think they'd make a decision. I didn't think they'd have it in them to make a, a choice on their own. They just have given me no confidence they can do that. And then last night, um, they shocked the world. Mike shocked the world and chose to kind of just – make their own choice and move forward with football. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, I, I get what you're saying there. Did they decide to move forward with football or they decide to not cancel it on Tuesday night? I think there's a difference there. I think you're right. I think it's more than semantics because I think it's, um, it, it's interesting because that, that I think that was part of my issue with what the big the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did here was they went through all this trouble, released the schedule, set up all these protocols, and then before anything even happened, before we even got to students getting back to campus, they panicked and canceled. Or, yeah. or excuse me, I know people say they hate our our coworker Brian Doan. Uh, shout out to Brian Doan hates the the cancel and postponement uh, mix up here. Okay, canceled the fall season or postponed until the spring, however you want to phrase it. But um, it's weird. Like, it, you know, they, they went through all this trouble. They went through all this thing. They released a schedule, and four days later, they released a revised football schedule for the entire league, and in four days, completely scrapped the season. Comple- completely scrapped it. <laughs> and, I mean, that kind of fits in with our, our thing to, God, you and I have been harping on this podcast since March, April, about how inept the leadership is at, at the college football level. But that, you know, I, that was my biggest issue. They set up for this and then just panicked, canceled, didn't even give their teams a chance, their, their schools a chance to, to see if they could do it right. And, and by all accounts, they had been doing it right so far. So I don't know. It's, it's strange. I've been on an eggshell since I remember the date. It was March 26th, and it was after things went haywire. And that was the first time that Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, he, he really spoke on things. He had a conference call, and we could listen in on it. And I can remember just the word wasn't resignation because it was still March, but he was resigned to at least certain potential outcomes. And, and one of them was that somehow six months later, there wouldn't be a season. And that seems it seemed just inconceivable at the time that you could look that far ahead and have these words coming out of your mouth. Um, that might've been some sort of framing for what should have followed, at least for people who maybe they felt the same as he did as worried as he was, that maybe we wouldn't be in this predicament, but I, I've kind of got the down that says probably everybody else about as to whether they could or should play the season. Um, my fates, my faith rose and fell with my faith in the conference leadership and, the people making the decisions, we'll get into that. It has not changed. But 
just yesterday, it was it just seemed like the end for me. It really did. I don't want to be a defeatist or anything like that. But I'm, I've tried to be optimistic about this whole time, but I really thought if the Big Ten punted, certainly the Pac-12 would. And then I just wondered, how are you going to get three other groups of presidents to sit in a room and listen to their doctors and say play when two other groups of presidents that sat in a room and listened to their doctors and didn't play? So you're talking about ACC, Big 12, SEC. They're going to go through the same process the Big Ten, the Pac-12 did. And they're going to listen to the doctors and say, we should play. They're going to ignore the doctors and say, we should play. Or they're going to listen to the doctors and say, we shouldn't play. Two out of three, 66% chance there says, it's not going to happen. And I just wonder how they can make a decision to play on top of 40% of the Power Five saying, we're not playing. Um, As you know, Chris, college leadership sometimes is groupthink. And when you see someone do something, it becomes a good idea. It takes some of the thinking out of it. You can just emulate what you saw and execute as they did, and you're good. The yeah. thing about what happened, though, is those two major conferences made their decision, and people got really fired up before, certainly, and then after. And I think it gave presidents some pause. And they sometimes do not want to shake still waters and – it maybe made them sit back and say, we need more time. You know, the reaction came fast and furious from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and perhaps people in the ACC, SEC, Big 12 offices said, I don't want to deal with that same backlash. Let's address it, at least. Let's look into it, explore it. We may come to the same conclusion. We can wait, though. So I think it's probably more accurate to say the Big 12 did not cancel their season. I think you're going to see that there's certainly a chance they could sometime in the next four to six to eight weeks, whatever it is until they play, who knows, but I don't, I don't think they're out of the woods yet. I just think that they haven't put their pads and helmets away yet. I'm with you on all that. It drove me nuts about how everything was leaking out from the beginning that the big 10 was basically ready to make it, whether you, whether you agreed with the big 10 or not and, and, and the leadership there, the presidents and what their doctors were saying, um, you know, that's to you and, and your doctors and whatever else, but they were making their own decision. They were making a decision. And then, so that is what it is. It, kudos to them for making their own decision. But the Pac-12 was, I mean, they were literally on the Big Ten's leash. It was, They were just sitting there like a, a nice little lap dog, like whatever the Big Ten says, we're ready to go right right away. As soon as, as, soon as they announce it, we're ready. Whatever you say, we'll do it. We'll do it. And, and then the reports came that the Big 12, and even Bob Bowlesby's comments in the immediate aftermath of that, made me think the Big 12 would be similar, that they would kind of just follow suit. Because I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but he told, oh, God, I want to give credit to who it is, uh, Kirk Bowles or or, or somebody down in Texas there that, or Chuck Carlson in in Dallas, Carlton in Dallas, that, uh, you know, those are, quote, God, and I hated this word as soon as he said it, data points, that what the Big 10 does and the Pac-12 does are data points. And I was like, oh, man. He's breaking out the college football playoff lingo to decide whether or not they're even going to have a season. And, and again, it wasn't, it, there was nothing about, we're going to listen to our doctors. It was, hey, those are data points and we're going to, you know, see what they do. Um, but it turns out that they did listen to their doctors. Reports were that they had a 90 minute call with their medical experts that said, hey, this might actually be safer to play football than to not for these guys. And, and that's why they're pushing forward. And a couple thoughts on the, the doctor's disagreeing thing. Um, for those that don't know, my wife's a doctor. She told, she's 
finds this hilarious because she says this is this happens all the time. Uh, doctors disagree on everything. Uh, that's why they have second opinions. That's why if people don't like what they hear from one doctor, they just go to another doctor and keep kind of going around to other doctors till they find what they want to get the diagnosis they want. Um, but I'm also all here for kind of doctor Twitter, doctor shade throwing <laughs> on Twitter. I am, I, I don't know if you saw some of this, but man, they're just, Hey, I, you know who I am? I am the Mayo Clinic cardiologist and this is, this is garbage. And somebody else chiming in with, Hey, you know what? I'm so-and-so from Harvard and this is true. I'm all here for it. I, I could be entertained by who's the best doctor Twitter all day long of these guys trying to talk trash about who knows what about about a virus that we're still learning about, but still, uh, well, it, it was entertaining. You don't want Mount Sinai to pull up at the red light and the Escalade with the blacked out windows, and because <laughs> <laughs> that's when things get real. Um, yeah, I'm all for that too because the infighting is great, but also because like. This, this stuff has to be out there. It does, because you have spring sports not far around the corner, and it, it, it blows my mind that we're still just now talking about this, too. Like, I've I, I made this joke, but I really, really, really mean this, but it was Chuck Carlton, and he quoted Bowlesby, and Bowlesby said that he wants to get his CEOs in the room to listen to the doctors. And I'm just thinking in my head, uh, surely Chuck left out the word April or again from that transcription because it should have happened in April, right? Yeah, it yes. should have been talking to the doctors from the very beginning. And again, like I understand mitocarditis is very serious. If you have an inflamed heart from infection, that's bad. Scholars are writing scholarly about this in April and May as a side effect of COVID. And if presidents are just thinking about this at the 11th hour, that worries me because that clouds your thinking. And you don't have time right now to really vet, again, a serious concern. That concern doesn't go away. It's perpetual. I understand that. Just because you learn about it in April doesn't mean you can get rid of it in August. But if you start thinking about it in April, you can get with the right people. You can figure out perhaps ways to detect, to diagnose, perhaps treat, I don't know, um, or certainly establish a data track where you could have data points at the end in August and you can make a more informed decision. Um, that did not happen, and it's astonishing, and I have many thoughts on this as well that maybe I'll try to get to, but if it's out there now and you're talking about it, I think it gives I think it gives your spring sports a better chance. It at least steers you in directions and conditions that have to exist that helps it out. So, hey, I'm all for that. If these people are smarter than the presidents and the ADs, that's fine. If they want to speak up and start throwing bombs at each other, that's okay. We need that. We need someone to disrupt what's going on because what's been going on certainly wasn't adequate. So, hey, pipe up, don't pipe down, and then pipe bomb if you have to. Like, if you see something that's wrong, hey, man, light it up and throw it there and get the information out there. And then the more conversation you have, the more information you develop and the better your decision is at the end because you have a big, big one coming up here before you know it. Again, like spring sports, spring sports are not going to – start if the things are as they are right now but don't forget man like basketball is a big money maker for the ncaa and they start playing games the first weekend in november so i don't know how the big 10 and pac-12 can play before the first of the year and that's something else now that the big 10 excuse me the big 12 the acc and the sec have to think about so they use all this information right now if things are exploding around you because people are taking shots at each other gather it study it and use it to your advantage right right and I'm agreeing with everything you're saying here about the uh, about these guys speaking up because that was part of 
uh, you know, last week or so, two weeks ago, when, when the rumblings really started picking up about changes coming to college football, cancellations possibly coming to college football because of what their doctors are saying. What were their doctors saying? Why are we yeah. not hearing about what these doctors are saying? Why is it just, well, we've been hearing things, so we're going to cancel. What? What have you heard? Share it. Share it with the rest of the world. We all need to hear these things that, that, that you know and that you're hearing and that your doctors are saying that your experts are telling you about college football. Everyone needs to know this. We need to share this information. We need to let the public know. We need to have some transparency instead of just saying, you know, I, I hated this whole aspect of big, the Big Ten leaders leaking out their plan to the media and saying we're hearing bad things, but no one's going on the record. No one's, and I understand anonymous sources. We all do it. It, it has to happen. But this was them strategically leaking this story out to see what's going to happen and hiding behind doctors that they weren't putting out there publicly information they weren't putting out there publicly and you just need to be straightforward about some of this stuff and when we're talking about this disease you have to be straightforward um but again and even more comments make me wonder if they even know like if they would even think of that uh did you see the Ohio State athletic director, Gene Smith? <laughs> don't, like, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> was like, hey, and that's this... one of the smartest guys in sports. Yeah, and he was like, hey, this is, this is not the same. This is full contact. And then Bruce Feldman quoted, said, quote tweeted it and said, yeah, a bunch of Pac-12 athletic directors said the same thing, and that's why it's gotten worse in the last 24 hours. And I'm like, did, did, did the Pac-12 and Ohio State just realize that football is a full contact sport in the last 24 hours? Is this breaking news here? Like... I'm pretty sure we knew that back in April, maybe before. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, um, just questions about the leadership. I don't, I don't understand it, and, and we got to be more transparent about things. Gene Smith is AD at Ohio State. I think if you did a short list of top ADs, he's at or darn near close to the top, um, and that he's one of the smartest people in college football. I don't say that with any hesitancy. Um, he was on, uh, I think it was the Big Ten Network. It was late in my channel guide. And he said something to the effect of, I'll paraphrase here, I'm sure I'll get the, the, the money quote right, but he said that, you know, the schedule came out and they're looking at options and they would have rather started late September, early October. But the science came to us so fast that we just had to move. What? <laughs> like the science shut your sports down in March. Like, I just, so just there was some understanding. And again, the facts are the facts. And I guess if you're talked into canceling, okay, that's fine. Explain that. We'll, we'll understand. But if you're telling me that you just started looking at this stuff and you just figured out the heart inflammation is a bad thing and a side effect, where were you five months ago on this stuff? And again, like, I'm not, I'm not being too harsh here or anything. I don't think when I say this, but like, if I'm in a leadership position, I would be really worried about my job. Like, what did I know? When did I know it? And how did that factor into the ultimate decision here? Because again, like there's there's major repercussions here. This isn't just a football season. You're going to see hundreds of millions of dollars lost across major conferences, which is going to be taken out in employees and smaller sports. It's a major decision. I'm not saying that Gene Smith himself could have, you know, prevented this. But like, if you're if your people were not on top of things and weren't putting the best information on your desk, I gotta wonder about the future of them. Because sure, this is unprecedented, but like, you need unprecedented talent in the room if you want to be. And I'm just concerned about that stuff there. I don't know if, it, if it's, you know, the right or cool thing to say right now, but like, I'd be really worried about who I had around me if I was a leader. And I'd be worried about myself if I was supposed to be part of a leadership team, because 
just some of the sound coming out of these meetings is, is really bad. Um, I do want to give props to the Pac-12. They released their medical report. Did you happen to catch that? No. Um, pretty good. If you want to go check it out, you can find it on the Pac-12 Twitter feed or website. And they go into it. And they pretty much just they go over a lot of the, the developments across a more protracted amount of time than just the past couple of days. And they basically say, like, this is serious. And we don't know quite yet how serious it can be. Now, more importantly, they have communities of transmission in those states that are concerning right now. And I think when you mix in student body population, um, you worry about the spread. And ultimately, college football has a duty to society, I think, to, you know, not spread the pandemic. I get that. I get that. And I at least respect the fact they put that out. You can go find it. It's, it's how it should look. When you put all your cards on the table like that, that's how it should look, too. So. Um, I like that because I'm frankly tired of anonymous sources and industry sources and high-ranking officials. Um, I don't know why you can't be out in front of this. If you really believe something, stand up for it and stand behind your words. And if you don't, you shouldn't be talking right now. If you're not sure, you're not certain, I think that that's where you kind of get into the idea that maybe you're you're spreading panic and fear about this stuff. And that's um, that's a debate that I don't want to get into about reporters and, and people who are cheering or rooting this on. But like, there are certain ways you contribute to the conversation that makes you think, I don't know, anonymous source with doom and gloom. Why won't that person say it on the record, right? That bugs me a little bit. So I also would like to see a lot of these schools be much more transparent. I want to know how the Big Ten voted. I want to know how the Pac-12 voted. I cover West Virginia. I want to know how West Virginia voted. I think I know where they stand right now. I'd like to know for sure and be able to tell people because you're going to need people a lot after this. And if they don't agree with your decision or if they do agree with your decision, that should be a hinge as to whether or not they support you in the future. I think that's 100% fair and I hope they do that. I don't expect it, but I also don't know why. If you voted and you felt strongly enough to shut down college football on your campus, you should feel strongly enough to explain that to your constituents. I don't know if that will happen, but that seems to me like it has to be a must. There has to be full-fledged transparency here. Well, I, I think everybody's trying to say that the Big 12 was unanimous. I mean, I, I believe it, I guess, and I don't have any reason not to. Um, I think we can say with a 99% certainty that Nebraska was not mm-hmm. in step with the Big Ten. Um, I guess that's something to watch. But I have a question for you about this spring football stuff. Let me let me stop you for a second. I, okay. do, do you think they voted last night on to are we going to play or not? Or do you think they voted on, again, going back to the original point, are we going to cancel or not? I think there's a big difference there. Um, I will. I don't want to give. I don't. Want, I, I can't want to say because I don't know that I'm 100. I want to be misleading, but like there's a split in the Big 12. There's is about as to whether or not they should have said definitively we are going to play. There just is. It's not 10 nothing. Um, now could 10 people have said you know what? Let's wait a little bit. Absolutely, they could. But seven of those 10 could have been leaning toward not playing if they had to vote yesterday. I think there's a difference there. I like to have that explained too. Like what's the difference? in outcomes because there's there's black and white here um saying we're gonna play and 10 nothing in that direction is very different than 10 nothing saying we shouldn't cancel today because again six seven eight of those schools that say we shouldn't cancel today they could cancel a week from now they could cancel two weeks from now they might be leaning in that camp but they're just willing to give it more time i mean i haven't seen anything about a 10-0 vote but like what in what context did you see that i think that was uh let me i'll try to pull it up but let me answer your question first um I would say pay very close attention to what the Big 12 releases today because, to your point, pay attention to what the SEC released the other day. They didn't say, we are definitively playing football. Their their press release said, we are continuing to monitor 
the situation. I believe the ACC said also said something similar about continuing to monitor the situation. They're happy with their protocols. They're going to continue moving forward as if, you know, the way things are currently. They, they basically, like you said, have chosen not to cancel yet. Not that they're definitively, no doubt, 100% playing. So I think, it, you know, it all obviously all depends um, on what happens over the next few weeks. But let me let me get back to that question I had for you about spring football. And, mm-hmm. and I want a one word answer to start and then we can expound upon it. But will any league, any FBS league actually play football in the spring? I'm going to juke you here. I'm not going to say yes or no. Oh, but I'll give you a one word answer. Go. How? <laughs> That's a great question. Great. Like, again, you can't. You let the doctors in the room, and you listen to them. And again, forty percent of your Power Five, and I forget what it is now. We're we're about halfway to the the major FBS tally, right? We're about like fifty eight, fifty nine, I think. So pretty much half the FBS programs have said they're not playing because it's not safe, and that's advised action. Are the same people who contributed to those decisions, and I'm speaking specifically here about Big Ten. Pac-12, because I think that they're more likely to be ambitious about this, are the same doctors who are worried about unknowns going to turn the knowns about risk from playing 20 games in, what were we talking here, 10 months? Right. Are they going to be okay with that? They can't be if they're real doctors. That's that's a terrible decision. It's not happening. So Terrible decision. Even if you play an abbreviated abbreviated season to get back some money, let's say you just play a six game season. Um, you're starting. Let's I don't know. First day of spring is March 21st, right? Mm-hmm. You're ending. You're ending in June, and that's like when that's when your spring conditioning starts. Your summer your summer workouts start rather. So you're you're forsaking spring football. I get that. So that takes some of the workload off. You're losing 15 practices and five weeks of workouts. I get that. But like, if you go from the end of March to spring, you're right in the summer conditioning. You're giving your kids no break, and then you're back in the field the first of August. That's not happening. That's extremely, Am I wrong there? Is that, yeah, is that it's too extremely dangerous? It's it's extremely dangerous. Like like we know about high speed collisions and CTE and you know the rigors on a body and joints and tendons from playing a regular season. Now you're going to play a regular season, which will be irregular when it's played after an abbreviated season. I don't know how they do that. It, it just seemed like it was a way to to go from funeral to funeral yesterday. Like just give them something to think about. Like hey, we're going to cancel. We're going to play in the spring. You could be happy about that. No, I don't think that's happening. And they, the other part is too. There are other spring sports, and universities are going to be so stretched financially right now that perhaps they don't play those sports, but that's going to be a big, big problem. But how do you have a major program that's playing football, basketball, baseball? And if you're, if you're like a, a major Olympic sport program, you have resources diverted to those other spring championships too, and you're not going to have as many trainers and tutors and advisors and dietitians and nutritionists and sports information people. You're just not because you can't afford it. You're going to furlough and lay people off. Like it's going to be way too much uh, of a spread of resources and finances. I don't know how that can happen in good conscience. And we have not even touched on how this affects basketball and other, because 
basketball, like you said, that starts what first week of November, somewhere around there. It's supposed um, to, yeah. I believe I'm trying to see the exact wording. The, the Big Ten says the 2020-2021 fall season. Um, I could have swore one of them said, you know, that they were. Uh, was it the Pac-12 maybe that said that they were postponing all sporting events until January 1st? So is non-conference okay. schedule over with? I mean, yeah, through end of calendar year for Pac-12. End of calendar year. Big Big Ten says fall sports season, so I guess that still leaves open the possibility of basketball starting in November, I guess. Pac-12 says through the end of the calendar year. So their basketball non-conference is over too. Yeah. I, I assume. I mean, that's how I read it. Um, you may so, have like a one-off game in TV in January or something like that, but I'd be surprised if that happened. But, uh, yeah, all those games, those invitationals, the trips to the Bahamas or having some – Soup can come in and lose by 50. Those are all gone. Are you, do we want to go down that rabbit hole of basketball right now? Or is that, like, how, I mean, we could do pod ideas. podcast. Yeah. Our, our pod idea has some legs. That was kind of just kind of slightly informed thinking, but like, that's, that's the way you're going to have to do it. And again, like it's, it's hard to do with college kids. I get that. But like, we're seeing that the pods are the best way to go. The bubbles are the best way to go. Um, I don't think of it as like one bubble over all of college basketball where everybody goes to San Antonio and they play a, a 64-team tournament or whatever like that or a 128-team tournament. No, think of it as like mobile bubbles. Think of it as like a um, a shell game, so to speak, where the cup is always moving and you're moving the thing underneath it. So there's a there's a shell one week over Lawrence, Kansas. There's a shell one week over Morgantown. And actually, you probably have, I think we just in my head, there's 10 Big 12 teams. You could have shells in three cities. And you're playing a 14-3 game tournament, and you do that six times, and you get your 18 conference games in, and you get teams weeks off. I th- there's ways to do it. That's just the one that we hypothesized about. And you're seeing it now. Like the college basketball people have studied the NBA stuff and have listened to it and have said, can we do something like this? Again, we can't bring everybody to one city or to six cities and play a Division One, you know, kind of World Cup style, I guess. I don't know where teams or groups advance, whatever. I don't, I don't know how you would do it. There's a whole bunch of ways you could do it. I've seen different models that are intriguing. I'm not sure what everybody would agree upon, but I think we have to admit that the bubble is the way to work here. And can it? Yeah. And then how do you do it without dis- disrupting the student-athlete experience and the emphasis there on, on student? you got to make sure that they're not away from campus for weeks at a time. you got to give them time to be home and to recuperate. And I really feel like those fourteen three game events, you know, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, something like that, that could work. I don't know if that's it, but there are models to make it work. Um, and they got to be thinking about that right now. You can't go into a traditional schedule. It's not going to work. And they already have kind of the foundation for this with all these early season tournaments. You know, like when yeah. West Virginia was, you know, you go down to or you go to New York or you go down to Mexico or whatever city it is, depending on the tournament that you're in. And I think instead of, you know, six or eight teams, maybe you make it 16 so that you can play a couple extra games and stay an extra couple days and and really get some games in. And then you go home and you take a week off. You take those few days to quarantine and then test yourself, make sure everybody's okay, and then move forward to, like you said, the next bubble, like a shell game, kind of moving bubble to bubble to bubble. And they have the foundation for that. And... Oh, God, I hope they actually think about it instead of just waiting till November and being like, oh, hey, the virus is still here. Oh, crap. What do we do? Like the football people. That'd be bad. Flip a coin here, Chris. If you had to 
pick one or the other when you're talking the brain trust. Smarter, college basketball or college football? Oh, college basketball. Easy, easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have faith. I think that they're watching Rome burn right now, and they're not grabbing their fiddle. They're grabbing the fire hose, and they're trying to figure out how to make this work. Well, is that too much for you? Uh, no, I just, I, I'll, I'm I'll talk about to, Nero. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around everything that's going on right now because it's it's been a crazy. I mean, when when you left for vacation, I think I joked, should I call up Mike for an emergency pod? Because um, there are about six things that happened in one day, and when you got back from vacation, like four days later, none of them were even on like the top 10 list of things to discuss. Mm. And then what's well, been two days after that. And now none of the things that I would have wanted to talk about on Saturday would even be in the top five thing, things that we would talk about today. It, it's been a pretty wild 10 couple of days. I, I'm glad you went on vacation for that, Mike. Mm. Let's uh, let's transition into that by just getting out of the football conversation. We'll know more perhaps by the time you've heard this. I'm expecting that we're going to see a schedule from the Big 12. I think that that was part of their meeting last night. It's like, hey, can we go ahead with this based on our decision to what I think is not cancel? And they say yes. There might be tweaks in there. They might move the date back. They might spread things out. I don't know. So we'll see if the game order for West Virginia, which I think is kind of important and intriguing, is that maintained? Are the schedules the same? Are they going to just say no to non-conference games? There are a lot of reasons to worry about playing Eastern Kentucky if you're West Virginia. There are reasons to not play non-conference games against some of these group of five schools if you are concerned about uniformity or at least the highest level of assurances when it comes to testing. So a lot to watch for there. You know. Also, and let me ask you this, Chris, um, if the Big 12 says we're not canceling or we withhold the right to cancel, there has to be some sort of bar that they cross clear to play or to not play. So is it, I don't know, a, a net positive rate by September 1st? Is it um, a number of infections or a number of positive tests? Or is there some sort of parameter where it's an up-down decision? Like, hey, we got to this date and we did not have the worst and darkest numbers we're going to go forward. Or, uh-oh, these things that we laid out in this press release on August 11th, the worst things happened, and we said if this happened, we're going to pull the plug. We got to pull the plug. Are there going to be parameters in place to let them know definitively if or how they're going to have a season? Do you mean parameters on the actual teams themselves or the areas and states of which these teams reside? I mean, yes and yes. I just don't okay. know. Like, don't, don't you think there has to be something in there that spells out the conditions to play a season or to not I, play I think a season? Like, I, there... I think so. Because any, any, sorry to interrupt, the, I think anything that happens with the teams and the programs, any numbers, any spike there has to be concerning. Because, again, my argument this entire time of why there should be football is not, hey, it's not that deadly, go entertain me. That's That's an asinine, selfish argument. My argument has been that playing football with all these protocols in place and keeping these kids in a structured environment decreases their chance and others' chances of spreading the virus. And mm -hmm. at West Virginia, we've seen that, where 
when the players first arrived, I mean, when the players first arrived on campus for men's and women's basketball, there were so many positive cases. They literally could not even have a practice. There were so many. <laughs> More than half yeah. of both of those teams were positive when they arrived on campus. Um, and for football, that number before when it was just voluntary workouts, protocols weren't as strict. Guys could kind of do what they wanted to when they weren't at football. That number spiked all the way to 28. 28. Now, the football team, when they're at full capacity, when they have all the walk-ons, that number gets to 100, a little more than 100, right? What's the what's the limit? 110, 120? Yeah, I don't even that. It's it's 110 right now. I don't think they even have 100 people on campus. Right. So I think it was 28, and this was back in uh, early July, mid-July, when that number was released by the school. And so there was probably 80-some kids there, maybe. Uh, that, that's a high rate, a very high rate. And at that point, mandatory workouts started. Protocols became much more strict. And now West Virginia enters fall camp with zero positive tests, zero cases. Yeah. Which is so, awesome. And again, yeah. about 15 people who were coming from out of town, too, who tested negative when they arrived. That's great. Yeah. So and, and then and, you know, I tweeted that the other day and saw responses from other beat writers and people. Oklahoma was the same way. I can't remember what their their high number was. But once mandatory workouts started, it went from whatever it was down to zero and has had no positive cases since and and so on and so forth. So I think any increase has to be a concern for the football program. But you do also have to consider the community around the football program. And I think that's why, you know, it's important for the communities to pay attention to that. Because the more the more that the community around the program, the towns, the cities, the states, have the virus, the more at risk the players are going to be and the more, you know, concerned school presidents are going to be about this whole thing. So it's important that those cities, those states, those communities also don't have a spike in the general population as well. I don't think that's as big of an issue. I don't think that I think the bar is going to be a lot higher for that to kind of pause things. But um, any kind of increase for the actual team, significant increase is, is going to kind of really bring things to a halt, I would think. Yep, and probably specific testing parameters will be put in place now, and then I would think something with the heart will have to be involved or at least required because the EKGs and the all that stuff, I think that the myocarditis really scared people across the country. There's got to be a way to keep an eye on the heart right now, too, and I think you're going to make schools do that right now, too. And I think I've seen a little bit of that reporting as well. That's apparently what presidents were were they felt better about knowing that at least they can go out there and say, we're keeping an eye on this, so that'll be good, too. Let's switch to on the field. Play on words. <laughs> a linebacker named Fields. Maybe maybe the best defensive transfer out there, certainly linebacker. Um, but he comes in and, um, boy, solves the problem, does he not? Yeah. Uh, he is a three-year starter at Arizona, difference maker. He immediately kind of, for me, turns that linebacker group into, I wouldn't say a a major concern that I had before. It, it was something. Uh, I wasn't sure how it all worked because I have kind of confidence in Josh Chandler, although I wasn't sure which position he would play last year. He started at Will, ended at Mike. Um, we've seen Cowan show flashes, but, you know, suspended for four games, a couple little flashes, then hurt, kicked out of Alabama. So you can't 
put too much on him. Jared Bartlett, just a freshman last year, although he showed flashes. Uh, Tonkery, I was about to call him Wes again, but uh, Dylan Tonkery, um, you know, he's a veteran. He's been out there. He knows how to play. He's played all three positions. I think he's the type of guy that, that you want to have on your team. But if he's going to be your – if you're relying on him to be your best linebacker, you're going to be in trouble. So adding fields kind of shifts everything for me and changes everything. I, I'm curious to see where he'll play. He played uh, kind of a – the week – Arizona ran – Weird. Yeah, yeah weird it was D. weird. It, it was to see. It was, it was uh, all the film I see. You know, he says, "Oh, we ran like a three-three-five kind of thing, or a three-four, uh, a three-four-three, but or a three-four-four, but it was more of a. It almost looked like a four-two-five, and he was one of the two linebackers, so it was kind of an inside linebacker, but on the weak side. It was very strange, but so I'm curious if he'll play Will or if he'll play Mike, um, but I think it's him and Josh Chandler. One or the other, one at Will, one at Mike, whichever way you want to go, whichever way the staff decides to go. And then, you know, you got Cowan and Bartlett that can kind of rotate at Bandit. And then you got Tonkery, you got X-Ray Low. All of a sudden, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot better about this this linebacking core just adding fields because it takes guys from a starring center of the defense role and makes them more of a, a kind of fill in and, and and I feel much more confident with it. Arizona might have played a three four three last year. <laughs> they were yes, not they very good, have. and that poor guy was chasing everybody around. Yeah, he played like middle linebacker on the right side, and I, I just because they also have Scotty Young on the team now. I have watched more Arizona highlights, I guess you can call it, or tape than than I care to admit, and although I just admitted it, but it was really strange, very basic sometimes, and again, like four guys up front and two linebackers. He was always on the right. Um, did not adapt to formations. And w- when you see them play Stanford, it was very much the same as when they played Washington. Those are two very different offenses. Um, so that was strange. It does look like he could hang as a will without much trouble, but I think he's probably good enough to play Mike in the way that West Virginia plays the Mike, which isn't going to be very different. I know, I know the bandit and Mike are supposed to be similar, but like the will is, I mean, you're going to have less traffic because you're going to play on the weak side of the formation. And West Virginia did that, but um, they played, four down sometimes with like four guys in their hand on the ground. They played through with that edge, but he was always like right behind the tackle on the right side. It was very interesting to watch that. So um, I, what struck me was that and I think you had this, did he play 2,300 snaps? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a Whew. lot. I mean, he's, he's three full years as a starter and very rarely coming off the field. For a bad defense too. That's a lot of football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of football there too. Um, we, we have a weird way of covering camp this year. We're, we're getting press releases before the camp starts, uh, after practices on the days that we don't talk to Neil Brown. So Sunday we had kind of a press release that updated things and said out of nowhere <laughs> that practice would start on Monday. We were under the impression it started on Friday of last week instead of Monday a couple of days later. No one told us otherwise. Uh, starts on Monday, Neil Brown, Zoom, Tuesday, obviously no media allowed. Um, and we got a press release just saying, what's up? We did better. We look good. Only players mentioned are the two kickers, Staley and Leg, which is, you know, in my wheelhouse. That's fine. But not a whole lot of details. It's two days in. As we get more conferences with Neil Brown, we can ask some questions. But one of the first things that he said on it would have been Monday uh, was about his defense and being more multiple and mm, mentioned specifically. that word. 
mention specifically Bryce Brand, Vandarius Cowan, Jared Bartlett. Uh, did get a little bit into linebacker weeds, but he's mentioned those three guys. And again, are they hand on the ground defensive ends? Are they full time defensive ends? No. Are they bandits? Yeah. And he also said that we have two base defenses. Is he saying that they have ways to get the four up front? It sounds like it, right? I think so. I think he, he's filling in what we were putting down in the offseason about them potentially switching to a four-man front. Of course, the, the news that also just happened to be thrown into that press release that Taj Alston could miss half the year, that, that puts a damper on things. Um, yeah, you did. You, what was it, like a month or two ago you said, that's strange. Taj Austin's in a walking boot. It's weird. It's like, oh, huh. Well, well, no, yeah, no one answers those questions. It was like, well, when they start, we'll start. So that's fine. But uh, again, is it the same? Is it different? Who knows? He had an ACL. I believe it's the same leg that I saw. Sometimes guys have base injuries and they come back too fast, too hard. It could be something different. could be something the same. But that hurts because they don't have Bola, Pate- Bola Patelli. Um, and he would have been... Austin, definitely a top two guy. I mean, he started, mm-hmm. I believe, one of the games last year that he played. Would have been a top two guy, and now you got to fill in and do some things here. You don't have Bola Patelli to fix it. And that's why these these bandits, the guys who can every now and then play a defensive end or at least give you a, a presence as the fourth in that four two five, are really important too. Um, how do you how do you foresee this now? Because realistically, at end they have Alston gone. They don't have the transfer from NC State. They just have Pooler, which is fine. Can he sustain the way he finished last season across this season? We'll see. Would have been great for him to have the spring, as with so many others. But after him, let's count here. Uh, Tavis Lee, we think it's probably a tackle. By the way, have you seen the photo of Tavis Lee? He's a big boy. Oof, he's probably a tackle, right? Yeah, he's uh, a big boy. Uh, then Akeem Mesador, Sean Martin, Ed Vesterinen, Linnell Carr, how how are they going to get depth attack or at defensive end here right now? There's a guy that Neil Brown mentioned that you know obviously you just that you just mentioned and um, had had big news in the offseason, Bryce Brand, and I'm very curious to how he fits in and where because he is about as wide as he is tall, and he is not fat. <laughs> He is not fat. He is a very large man, very strong, extremely strong. He camped at West Virginia when he was a sophomore in high school, I think, the summer or the summer after his sophomore season, and he worked out at defensive tackle. He eventually got ranked and picked up and recruited as an inside linebacker. And then when he played at Maryland, he was not a starter. He would come off the edge in certain pa- – he would come in for certain packages and almost exclusively play as a hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher type of guy and really disrupted things in the backfield. Now, does that fit as a bandit? Or are you looking at him as somebody that could play as a defensive end, like, for instance, spell, spell Pooler on third down or obvious passing situations and somebody that can kind of rush the passer and get in the backfield there? Um that's somebody I'd keep an eye on because I are my, my guy at Maryland, when I spoke with him and I asked him some questions about brand, he said, you know, he might give you a couple of plays here and there, but he wasn't really an impact player at Maryland. And then for, but for Neil Brown to kind of 
mention him like one of the first players he mentioned on the very first day of practice it it, it caught my eye it, it definitely caught my eye 511 248 <laughs> that's his height and weight at maryland uh, a generous a generous 61 235 in high school on his recruiting profile that sounds about right <laughs> so see be like five nine yeah <laughs> and mike joseph puts the tape on him I don't yeah know. i don't know so today figures be a big day. Get a schedule, maybe. Uh, get a look at how they're going to try to keep this thing on track, maybe. And then practice on going. No idea when we speak to Brown next. Um, we've been promised that he'll do a couple things. How much does he have to talk about after the second and third day? Don't know, but um, two a days going on right now. Two a days, but just for the coaches, really going about an hour and a half. Um, probably the best you can do right now. And I think they're going to go at Brown's pace, you know, they'll put on pads and helmets probably later than the five day period, but they probably have a way of accomplishing quite a bit here just because they're making guys work hard for an abbreviated period of time. Um, mental reps are really important right now. Knocking the rust off is important. Now getting your conditioning and learning how to go from drill to drill and to go hard. Um, even in shorter windows is important to this. This is just all very unusual. And I mean, even like, again, I can walk by the stadium and I can see the stadium and how they're practicing the practice field. There's not a lot of people out there. Like I'm you're, the players are one thing, but an army of GAs and water boys and trainers, that's not happening right now. Um, it's, it's kind of unusual to see the new normal here. And it's going to be like this for a while. He did mention though, that like it may be temporary and that they may, they may expand a little bit as they get closer and they get more sure about who they have. That could be just a new way of filling gold and blue teams. Perhaps your goal team is your ones and twos or some type of combination of that. And not just people who are roommates or are friends. Um, what do you think about how they split this up so far? And that idea that maybe it changes a little bit and they grow or they otherwise alter how they practice and who they practice with. I think, I mean, obviously it did. It depends the first the question about it growing, these groups growing. How much do you trust your players? A lot of it this is this is where the trust between players and coaches has to happen. Because mm-hmm. if you truly trust your players that they have been sticking to a kind of informal bubble and not going out, not doing all these things, wearing a mask whenever they are in public. If you truly trust that they're doing that, then you can continue to grow the groups that are working out because if they're doing everything they're supposed to, then it shouldn't matter how big your group is because everybody should remain negative. Um, No offense to anybody on the team, but we were all college students. We were all 18 to 22 years old. I would not trust... 18 to 22 year old me to sit in my room and do nothing all day (laughs) between practices when I'm at college, I would not. And I think for a lot of people, they're the same way. They, if they're truly honest about themselves, they would feel the same way. And again, is it, are are these guys more disciplined than I was probably Uh, more disciplined than a lot of people because football is so important to them. This is their future. This can help them get places. So I think a, a vast majority of them will, but all it takes is a couple to not adhere to it. So I wouldn't grow it. I would try to keep it, at least for the next few weeks, I would try to keep it small. I would try to keep guys separated 
and, and, and try to make sure that, that nothing happened, especially in these next couple of weeks when, like you said, the Big 12 is not, not possibly uh, you know, definitively playing, but not quite canceling. So don't risk it yet. Don't risk it yet. Yeah, don't be a Rudy Gobert. Yeah, right. Nobody wants to be. Uh, they got to they gotta switch it up eventually because just because you can, you can practice right now with friends and roommates, that's not how you're going to line up and play unless your best players are best friends. And even then, you don't want to lose them all if something happens. So they're going to have to mix it up. How'd they do it? I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a puzzle that they're going to have to figure out. Um, last one. We'll go here. Locker room. Pretty nice. Mm. They could spend some time in there if they were allowed to. That's a good bubble to have them in, I guess. It looks like there's a whole bunch of bells and whistles. Um, the tour or the, the the video, I guess, where they just kind of show what it is and you see the digital nameplates and the lockers and how cool it looks, that's that's fine. Um, that's good for social media and everything. But, man, the video where the players are getting to see it for the first time, everybody in a mask too, by the way, that was great. But that is so valuable for the ultimate goal, which is recruiting. Um, how important do you think, well, one, the video is, to send to people, but also just the, the locker room and having something new in the recruiting game. Because again, everything is about recruiting. That video was 10 times better than the quote unquote reveal. Yeah. Period. Like I would have skipped right past the reveal and gone straight to that video, maybe followed up with the reveal afterwards to give, to give a more detailed look of exactly what's in there because the look on those young men's faces is, is priceless. And I like, as far as, just feeling good and seeing them so happy, it's priceless. As far as recruiting goes, priceless. Like, could you imagine a recruit seeing that and seeing how happy these kids are? Um, it's great. It was perfect. It's a perfect way to end, you know, I think, um, uh, no, he didn't say the end of all of camp, but the end of the uh, of a day of camp. That, that's a great feeling when you are busting your butt at practice, you're sweating, you're miserable, you're putting in all this work. And then it's like, hey, check out this state-of-the-art locker room where you're going to spend a lot of your time, and it's all for you. And it's a great feeling, and they were excited about it. And, and uh, it, it was nice to see that when all this, all this talk of football's over and everybody's sad and everybody's upset, and then football's moving forward, and here's the coolest new facility and, and one of the best locker rooms in the country, all for you. And it was pretty cool to see them excited about that. Please wear a mask, social distance, effing follow the guidelines. Let them play football. It's as much on us right now as it is on them. They got this fancy locker room. It'd be great if they could get dressed in there before it, perhaps celebrate after it. And uh, I think it's kind of unspoken, but probably has to be said, like a lot of what happens next is not going to be just what happens with football players, but what happens in their communities too. So if you want to play, Play by the rules that are kind of outlined right now, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, plenty happened since I was gone. Plenty happened since I've been back, which is probably good news, too. I was afraid we wouldn't have anything to write about. Silly me, but we'll probably have more to write about before long. And more to talk about the next time we hang out. But until that time, that's all for this time for Earsports.com. I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.